Hello and welcome to the Changemakers podcast. I'm Dave Caller, Business Director at the creative agency Shape By, and in this series I chat to leading marketers at what we call Changemaker Brands, businesses on a mission to change the world for the better through technology. What I want to find out is the role that creativity plays in helping them to communicate the benefits of their technology. Hopefully their insights, experience and stories can help you supercharge your own creativity. Now, as much as I love chatting with folks right at the coalface of marketing and brand activity within B2B tech companies, I think it's also really important on this podcast to try and get as many perspectives as possible from really right across the spectrum of B2B tech marketing, whether that's in-house, external, or anywhere else. Luke Brindley-Jones is the founder and MD of OST, who are a global B2B social media agency they're based here in the UK. Their clients include Salesforce, Dassault System, and a whole host of others. And Luke really is an absolute fountain of knowledge when it comes to B2B brands really maximizing the potential of social media. I hope you enjoy it. Luke, good afternoon. How are you doing today? Welcome to the Changemakers podcast. Thanks. Doing very well, thank you. Good to be on here. Excellent stuff. Um, so the way that we usually run these things is um, it would be really good to get a bit of an intro to yourself um, and to OST. And I guess really, you know, how you guys um, came to be, how you set up the business and what you specialize in. Yeah. OK. Um, so so OST is a specialist B2B social media agency uh, working globally with uh, mainly with large tech brands. That's our That's our core sort of area. Um, we came to be really because I used to run um, uh, events around social media, really, um, in niche aspects of social media. So social media monitoring, social CRM, stuff like that. And through these events, I realized that actually a lot of even quite large brands didn't have a real handle on what was going on in the space. Um, and they started asking us to work with them on it. And so gradually I started hiring people. And uh, yeah, so we're now an agency of around 30 in the UK with um, seven or eight people overseas. What kind of clients do you have at OST? Our our main focus, as I say, is tech. So SaaS technology, um, I guess uh, the likes of Salesforce is one of our biggest clients. Um, Also, we work with Infosys, a very large um, Indian-based technology company. Um, uh, Recently started working with Dell and a few others. Um, one thing that's always fascinated me um, about, you know, the world of B2B in general is just how different it is to, to, to B2C in a lot of different ways, sometimes needlessly so, sometimes for very valid reasons. Um, in terms of uh, on the social media side of things, what, what, what differences do you see in terms of both, you know, the kind of client, dif- the, the client briefs that, that, that you get through that might differ to B2C through to the kind of approaches you take to kind of stand out and help your clients um, generate impact on social? Yeah, so so I think... The fundamental difference, and there, and there is an absolutely fundamental difference in social, which is um, we used to work with consumer clients as well. So we've kind of got out of that space and really focus on B2B. Um, in B2B, relationships tend to be higher value uh, as an individual relationship. So, you know, one connection, one contact, one download or whatever can be worth tens of thousands up to millions, you know, depending on the company. Whereas in consumer, it tends to be of a lower value. Therefore, the approach on social is radically different. Uh, in consumer, 
uh, tends to be a more of a mass market approach, um, less emphasis put on the human relationships that are there, which is ironic actually, because it's seen as a more fluffy kind of friendly space. Whereas in B2B, it's actually much more meaningful, much more impactful to have really good relationships. So our strap line as a company is we create meaningful relationships. That's what that's all about, really. It, it taps into that um, inherent value that there is in B2B social um, that isn't quite the same in consumer. And do you think this has always been the case? Do you think those kind of um, disparate differences have always been the case or are the lines starting to maybe blur a little bit um, as, I mean, I, I guess the, the value conversation definitely still stands in terms of uh, the, the amount of value that you can place on it. But, you know, from our point of view, we're certainly seeing more kind of human interaction across the board in terms of um, the work that we do for our B2B clients, whereas it used to be a lot more corporate. I guess it's slightly different being in the kind of design versus social space. But yeah, are you seeing any kind of um, any shifts in that? Um, in in those kind of relationships, a little bit. I mean, I wouldn't say um, there's a big rush to be uh, to be more human, if you like, in that approach. I mean, it has started to happen. It has um, evolved a bit more, but it's more about um, either companies realizing they need to cater to their staff and have more of an employer brand approach, which isn't so much to do with the marketing, or it's actually companies waking up to the value of social which has definitely happened in the last couple of years as you know you, you get i was talking about it yesterday actually, you get ceos who've been happy to just be present on social in the past and now they're realizing that they have to have a voice they have to be involved in conversations um you know and that that's the shift that's happened i think people especially be to be realizing how important social can be as part of their overall strategy with relationships so that's an interesting point, actually. Are you doing more work around kind of um, individual sort of personal brands? Are you working with individuals within these businesses rather than kind of, you know, the company brand as a whole? Is that a shift that you've seen of late? Yeah, it's not, it's not an either or. I mean, it's um, as well as and complementary to the, the corporate channels. So I, I think, you know, c- companies definitely need their own voice in, in social. There are certain things they need to be saying at different times. But those opinions and views and things can be amplified incredibly by their staff and by their senior execs so yeah absolutely that that's been a big big growth trend in the last couple of years and um yeah so we we do both we 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 both manage the channels and take on the senior execs channels or just enable the senior execs if they're willing to be active themselves cool and um what kind of channels do you guys typically well, I mean, obviously, you know, when you think of, of sort of B2B social, you know, your mind immediately springs to, to LinkedIn. So I'm going to imagine you're obviously very active there. But um, what, what are the kind of what are the what are the main channels? Um, are they kind of, the, you know, the more mainstream ones? And has there been shifts in that of late in terms of things like mm-hmm. TikTok coming on, coming along and, and, and that kind of thing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm slightly bitter. We got pipped to the number one kind of B2B social media award uh, a month ago by Sage, you know, the accountancy firm doing a TikTok campaign. Um, and we kind of knew they'd win it, but we came second with our LinkedIn live campaign. So it's not too bad, but yeah, I mean, um, LinkedIn is is the daddy of, of social networks for B2B. And we've seen lots of success keeping campaigns within LinkedIn. So, you know, running a LinkedIn live event, promoting it with a LinkedIn event page, using LinkedIn ads to target it and using LinkedIn outreach with influencers if you keep it within the ecosystem, you get a much higher return. So that's still the place to be. Twitter has its place, definitely. Um, every influencer in every sector has a 
present usually on Twitter as well. So that's an opportunity to, to use and it's cheaper than, than LinkedIn generally in terms of advertising. Um, we're starting to use, um, so for some of our tech companies, we use Reddit. Um, you know, there's certain audiences, developer audiences, technical audiences. You can, you can get through that. Um, and in certain countries, again, talking about going across Europe and into Eastern Europe and things, YouTube and, and other channels are very effective in a B2B context. So it kind of depends where you are, but, um, Facebook less. So we do have some clients that are halfway between consumer and B2B where Facebook is very effective, but, but less for the, for the big technical uh, technology companies. That interesting point you just touched on there in terms of different territories. Um, I take it, do you guys work um, in pretty much any territory globally? We do. We're, our specialism is really EMEA. So we, we started working in Europe because we had US clients saying, you know, guys, help us get into Europe. So we have a French account manager, German, uh, Italian, Spanish, Dutch. So we have individuals in country and you need that localization to be able to really engage um, on a local level. Um, we also have someone in the US for European companies that are wanting to get over there. We have a partner in China. So, um, you know, slightly different approaches in each country. Um, and also the legal frameworks are different. So when you're talking about influencer marketing, as soon as you get into Germany and places, you've got to be thinking of a whole new legal regulatory system and set up. So, yeah, interesting challenges for a, a small agency that we still are. Yeah. And you mentioned China there. Obviously, it's completely different over there. Is that something that's been a kind of um, a growth era for you? You're just kind of toddling along? Because obviously, yeah, lots of networks over there that don't exist over here or exist in a very small way and, and vice versa. Um, is that a challenge for you? Yeah, it's um, it's bigger in the consumer space, really. So obviously, the with the Chinese, especially in things like tourism, you know, um, coming across to Europe, you've got to be on WeChat and some of the big Chinese networks to reach those tourists coming into your country whereas with b2b it's more about having a presence often in china um and so we have yeah some tech clients that just have to have a presence in china because they've got you know um either kind of technical teams there and they're looking to hire staff or they're looking to tap into the the emerging tech uh, industries like the car electric car industry and stuff like that so it, it depends we haven't gone in with both feet yet we just have a presence there um, but yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a whole, you know, kind of worms. I do have a plan to get on a plane and go there and sc- scope it all out sooner or later, but, um, yeah, not, not quite yet. Nice. Um, I just wanted to touch on, um, something which crops up whenever you start to think about social media or certainly I do. It's such a fast moving world and, mm. you know, I'm never a fan of the word trends as it were. Um, but you know, it is some, it is an area where where things you know crop up and then disappear as, as as soon as they have. You know, you think about things like Clubhouse, for instance. Um, I'm not even sure if it's still around, <laughs> yeah. or it's just been kind of usurped by by you know by networks doing their own thing. But um, in terms of so we're obviously kind of fast coming to the end of 2021 and approaching a new year. Um, I just wonder whether there are any kind of emerging trends or, or trends at the moment that, that B2B marketers in particular should should be thinking about for, um, you know, to kick off next year, to, to, to be aware of and, and even to, to act on? Yeah, well, I mean, I think the biggest one we've already touched on, which is the um, realising the value of your community. So your existing community, and that, by that I mean your staff, um, your partners, your customers, etc. Um, 
you know, and this funny enough, it takes me back, you know, 20, 20 odd years ago when I was starting out in this game and I was building online communities, you know, encouraging people to join forums and things like that. That this this is starting to happen now for for businesses, and that's the real opportunity, I think. Um, you know, to get your network building, you know, um, and connecting you with others around you. And as I say, the, the, because the relationships can be so valuable, um, you know, most businesses still get a well, B two B businesses get a high proportion of their customers from referrals or the equivalent referrals. So that's that's where social can really come to its fore. So. That advocacy piece, um, you know, starting with your own staff, senior execs, moving into customers, partners, involving key influencers within your sector, and creating a sort of end-to-end advocacy program, and and I mean that in itself is a beast to set it up and run it. You know, we've we've done these. We we run um, several global influencer programs, and connecting and bolting them into staff advocacy programs is. You know, something that we spend a lot of time trying to do, so that if you could crack that, most businesses will be fine. You can you can put your, you know, sales teams on, you know, forever furlough if you want once you've done that. Um, sorry, sorry. <laughs> talking on the sales side of things, I don't want to put you guys out of role, but, um, and then the other one I was just going to say mention um, is um, yeah, I mean, the influencer marketing piece as well. I've, I've mentioned it there, but that is still largely untapped for most sectors and most B2B industries don't realize they've got these individuals who are highly connected and have a stake in um, amplifying and promoting great products and services and things. So, you know, tapping into identifying those people, building those relationships and, and tapping into those networks is it is an opportunity there. And I mean, so it's a really good, really interesting point to touch on in terms of influencers, because, you know, even going back six, nine, 12 months, you know, and you thought of an influencer, you think of somebody who has, you know, however many hundred thousand, hundreds of thousands of followers. But I mm-hmm. guess now in some sense, you know, your your top salespeople can be influencers, your um your office manager could be an influencer if they, you know, are have a personal brand that that people um, relate to and that is worth something. Like you said, it always comes back to that value conversation. Do you find that there's a particular kind of, um, you know, influencer, you know, that 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 is really effective within the B two B space? I'm not necessarily just talking about the obvious ones like the CEO. The CEO yeah. You know, are there what well, a are, are there kind of particular sort of job roles or or, or um, or are there particular types of, of, of people within the organisation that you would naturally say, if this person or this kind of job role isn't on social, you know, amplifying the business and building their own community, then they should be? Well, certainly it starts at the top. I mean, the, the most influential person you have in any business is the CEO, the managing director, whoever. Um, and if, if you can empower them and enable them to be an influencer as well, then that's absolute gold, you know. Um and the next line down, as long as you've got knowledge, and it has to be in B2B again, different the difference from consumer is often in consumer it's based on, you know, how, how loud you shout, you know, how flamboyant you can be, etc. In B2B, it's usually much more about how much you know and how connected you are and how useful you are in, in the space you're in. So if you can identify those people wherever they are, as you say, and you know, help them with their um you know their channels help them with their content um train them up you know facilitate that then then that's a that's a great big opportunity in terms of the the influences externally um 
we usually, you know, you're right that there can be of any size in terms of following. Um, we work with some industries where, you, you know, if you get a thousand followers, that's like, you know, actually somebody who, who can, who's a player in that space. Um, whereas others, and in, there is a whole band of professional influencers in the bigger sectors now. So FinServe, um, yeah, FinTech, FinServe, um, any of the sort of um, financial or tech spaces, digital transformation, there, there are professional influencers there now. So if you want to work with the top people in that space, some of them are getting paid, you know, they're on retainers, like getting, you know, $10,000 a month or whatever, just for being available. Um, so that that's, you know, and there's a sliding scale all the way down. The, the challenge when you're at that end of things and you're paying these guys, obviously, is that you've then got to disclaim it and the credibility starts to diminish. And again, to go into the legals of it all, that is becoming... Um, you know, uh, the, the regulatory bodies in the UK, the US in particular, are looking at B2B now. They're starting to look beyond consumer influencers. So it's we're going to see some case law in this space at some point. That's interesting. Yeah, um, I guess it was only a matter of time, really, um, in terms of the way these things work. Um, yeah. I just wanted to move on a little bit and touch on... Uh, measurement and effectiveness um i guess so is so i, I imagine well I'm, I'm fairly sure that you know in terms of kpis they're quite different to what you would imagine a consumer um you know uh, social media campaign or um or initiative would be um how, how are you guys how are you guys typically kind of measured in terms of success um in terms of the, the, the campaigns and projects that you run yeah i mean it's funny because in the space we're in we're usually coming in and explaining how to measure this so in some sense we mark our own homework and that's it but um but there are some approaches that we take and, and the first one is to make sure that our client understands what they're measured against so do they have a company you know measurement framework for their marketing team what is let's have a look at that and then let's work out how social can contribute to that and usually what happens is there's a you know, we can add some KPI lines to existing uh, measurement structures and there needs to be some assumptions built into that that is like, okay, so what what is meaningful for us? Is an impression meaningful as long as it's well-targeted? Might be, yeah. Is an engagement meaningful? Possibly, yeah. Is a click? Well, probably. And then a conversion or a, a lead, you know. So we take it all the way through. Usually I would say the emphasis is on the, the higher level metrics in the funnel um, unless we're doing a full-on content marketing kind of campaign which we do and, and social drives really fantastic results from that as well so what we typically have is an always-on program which is very much focused on the higher level metrics the, the, those kpis and then um, campaigns which really push into the the lower level um, you know conversion type metrics um, between the two you know you, you get a fantastic um, you know output result um, are you seeing, uh, so in, in our world, we're, we're seeing a slight shift away from kind of lead generation, so contact forms, things like that, you know, actual kind of gated content and stuff into mm -hmm. slightly more kind of demand generation tactics. So really playing in the spaces where your audience are, understanding that it's a bit more of a long tail, um, but ultimately, you know, the rewards are there in the long term. Is that something that you guys are seeing as well in your world? Yeah, I think I think we're, we're definitely in the middle of that. I mean, um, you know, we we used to get a lot of inquiries coming to us saying, right, generate us hundreds of leads from social, please. You know, and it's like, well, that's we can, and it's a it's a heavily ad driven 
program we can do that we have an ads team that's fine but actually yeah the when we talk about meaningful relationships and developing that trust you know it is a longer term process um and it does help to have you know to, to buy, buy somebody dinner before you you know kind of expect to go home with them kind of thing so that's that's you know that's the approach we take not in those words i would add <laughs> <laughs> well you know sometimes it always helps to, to have analogies that people relate to so that's fair enough <laughs> um and just something you touched on there um in terms of uh, paid versus um organic um mm. are things shifting there at all uh, are things kind of plodding along the way that they always have been you always hear these days well i always hear organic is is becoming less effective um there was certainly a lot of talk you know around i know you said that facebook's not such a big channel for you but a year or so yeah. ago big shift you know organic was drastically less effective um yeah what, what are the prevailing winds like around that at the moment i think i mean across the board in social organic got shot in the arm with the growth of influencer marketing and then and then that stopped being organic it started being paid of a sort so um but the it's certainly in b2b there is still opportunity from organic but you have to be creating the conversations it's mainly because uh, any negativity around organic is really generally because it's not done very well in b2b so um you know one of the things we always try and do with clients is go right where's the conversation in that and we get a bit you know repetitive with this a client goes i want to sell this with james like, well, where's the conversation um and you know if you can find it and there is something interesting in there to talk about and generate and then you can put that into a format that is going to engage people genuinely, then it works, you know, and, and, you know, alongside that, you need to be working in building your community, making sure that you've got people there ready to jump into that conversation and help you amplify it. Um, but yeah, we're seeing where, where you do it right, it works really, really well. And this is one of the reasons we've grown as an agency, really. Um, there's a client I was going to mention, it's in the printing space and, you know, they sell printers that cost tens of thousands, if not, you know, more. Um, so it's a long sales cycle. But we we, t- we started working with them in 2016. Um, we every year we've Im- improved their results from social, and that's primarily organic, you know. So every year we've Im- we've improved, and they've gone with us on that journey, and they now have a community that they they work with, and that for me is what it's all about, you know, and delivering, you know, out of that drop sales and renewals and whatnot all the way through so that's that's the that's the the real value um segueing perfectly into my my next point which i wanted to to talk to you about which is kind of the the, the kind of typical projects that you guys work on do you obviously you come in and set the strategy and you know work from there but do you also kind of manage the implementation and, and the rollout of campaigns or do internal social teams tend to manage that a bit of a mix of the two how does that work for you guys yeah, well, we, I mean, our, our favourite kinds of clients, uh, so almost all of our clients are retained. So social is a kind of longer term thing. We we do projects, you know, to prove ourselves and stuff, but typically we're on a, a retainer. Um, and our favourite kind of clients are ones that go, right, manage our channels, you know, create our strategy, manage our channels, promote our channels, um, you know, run the campaigns, deliver value. And if we can get that, and we're just tied into a measurement framework, we're entirely happy to be responsible for delivering results. The, the tougher ones, and this is what we normally get, is where it's like, okay, you guys manage the, manage the channels, but we're going to do this bit, and oh, we've got a creative agency who's going to do that bit, and then paid agency is going to do this bit. And obviously then, if we're not 
controlling all the strings, it's really hard to commit to uh, to the outcomes from that unless you're really joined at the hip. So, you know, that's what we do. We typically work really, really closely with the other agencies and make sure that everybody is working to a, a unified plan and measurement framework and and that works. But yeah, I mean, um, we also have some smaller clients where, you know, we are um, doing everything for them and managing their channels in different countries and things as well. So, um, yeah, we, we, we do everything if, uh, if we can. <laughs> excellent. Excellent. Um, and, and just a bit conscious of your time. I know you're a busy man. Um, so again, I really, really appreciate you joining me, um, today. I just wanted to end our conversation with, with, um, a question that we always end on, um, with every podcast on the change makers, which is to ask you, um, over the years, um, and it doesn't even have to be at IST if there's something you can think of beforehand. But what is the what, what's your favourite campaign or project that you've that you've that you're most proud of, I guess, and and why? Oh, okay. Um, so I would say there's uh, one of them that we we won a lot of awards for a few years ago, which was with um, Zoetis, which is nobody's ever heard of, but it's the world's biggest animal health pharmaceutical. So provides um or you know if you've got a sick cow they'll sort you out um so we developed a community of uh, farmers and vets for them which ended up being around a hundred thousand strong in the uk so the biggest the world's biggest community of farmers and vets as far as we know um and that did a clean sweep of all the b2b awards about you know four or five years ago so that was phenomenal and that was a, that was an amazing piece of work one more recently um for refinitiv the financial data company um, we did a 24-hour LinkedIn Live, um, non-stop 24-hour LinkedIn Live around the world. So we had the team working, you know, across Europe, Asia, um, the Americas, kind of passing the bat on to the next person on LinkedIn Live, and that was phenomenal um, as well. And uh, yeah, we just got reward for that. So it's a, a well done to the team on that because it was a, a long, long day, a long, long nights. <laughs> Excellent. I mean, uh, back to your point on the, the the community of vets. I mean, what one of the things that I like most about B two B is um, is the fact that some of your clients, you know, they're not certainly not household names, you know, to the vast majority mm-hmm. of people. But a, they're they're huge huge businesses, and b, they do some incredible work. Um, and actually, the deeper you get into them, you find that they're just as fascinating as your favourite consumer brand or whatever, um, just in a yeah. slightly different way. So, I guess you yeah. and I probably have a shared interest there in terms of the fascination with B two B brands. Um, Brilliant. Uh, Luke, thank you so much. Th- thanks so much for joining me on The Changemakers. I really appreciate it. Um, again, you know, I know that you're a busy man, so I really appreciate your time today. Great pleasure, Dave. Anytime. Thanks for having me.